Hello and welcome to another edition of Todd Talks Bible. This engaging discipleship-based Bible study is sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. And our teacher is Todd Tolles, the founder and director of CDM. A career firefighter captain before entering the ministry, Todd founded Church Discipleship Ministries to equip and empower believers to fulfill your calling to be a spiritual warrior dedicated to fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's listen in now as Todd Talks Bible. The rapture is the great hope of Christianity when Jesus comes and gets his bride. Now, I think the sixth seal in the book of Revelation is discussing this wondrous event, the rapture. Let's talk about it coming up next. Hi, brothers and sisters. My name is Todd Tolles, and I'm the director of Church Discipleship Ministries. I want to welcome you to our discipleship program, Todd Talks Bible. Today, we're going to be digging down deep into Revelation chapter 6 and discuss the sixth seal. I believe the sixth seal is discussing the events of the rapture and what transpires immediately on earth afterwards. So, let's get into it, shall we? Now, if you haven't studied with me yet, and you have not seen session number 12, you need to pause right now and go back and either watch session 12 on YouTube or listen to session 12 on one of the podcast platforms. The title of the session is called, What is the Rapture? And in that session, session number 12, I go into great detail explaining what the rapture is and how it plays into the overall uh, prophetic scheme that God has for the church. Today, though, we're going to go down into a little bit more deeper than that discussion, and we're going to actually be talking about how it relates to the seven seals, primarily that it is the sixth seal. Now, as review, I want us to start off reading the passage in Thessalonians, which is probably one of the most famous passages that we use to talk about the rapture with. And before I get started, I want to discuss again the word rapture, because many people say, oh, that word's not found in the Bible. Again, if you listen to session 12, you'll learn that the Greek word for being caught up or being catched up or catching up uh, that is found in many of the modern translations, this Greek word is harpezo. And when the Bible was translated from Greek into Latin many centuries ago, the Latin word was rapturo, and that's where we get the word rapture. Most English translations use the word caught up or the phrase being caught up instead of the word rapturo or rapture. But whatever you want to call it, being caught up or raptured, it doesn't matter. The event is real, and we're going to show you today why it happens at the sixth seal in the book of Revelation. So let's get started and get us in the context of this discussion. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know what will happen to the Christians who have died, so you will not be full of sorrow like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus comes, God will bring back with Jesus all the Christians who have died. I can tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not rise to meet him ahead of those who are in their graves. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the call of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. 
First of all, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and remain with him forever. So comfort and encourage each other with these words. So that is Paul's famous passage in the book of Thessalonians that describes the events of the rapture or being caught up to Jesus when he comes and returns for his bride. Now, a lot of people throughout the ages have made predictions when the rapture will come. In fact, if you go on YouTube and scan many of the videos on prophecy on YouTube or listen to other preachers on the, some of the podcasts, you'll see over the last two or three months, ever since COVID broke out, there's been all kinds of predictions about the rapture, when it was going to happen and what was going to happen next. Some have even predicted who was going to be elected as president. And all these predictions were wrong. None of them came true. I mean, we're Christians and we're still here. So the rapture didn't happen. And that is the whole point, isn't it? If you depend on a bunch of men who claim to be prophets to tell you what the Bible is saying and give you false predictions of when the rapture is going to come, then you're going to be easily fooled by false teaching. Our goal at Church Discipleship Ministries, which sponsors this discipleship program, Todd Talks Bible, is to make sure Christians are mature enough to read and study the Bible themselves and so they can allow the Holy Spirit to teach them exactly what God is saying about the rapture. So I'm not going to give you a bunch of predictions when it's going to happen. My goal is to show you what the Bible is saying and so that you, through the, your studies, can allow the Holy Spirit to show you these truths as well. Because that's what mature believers are supposed to do. Read the Bible, study the Bible, and allow the Holy Spirit to teach them. I'm just here to facilitate your study so that you can have your eyes open to the truths of Scripture. So today, we're going to be relying on a lot of scriptural passages that talk about the rapture and how it relates to the sixth seal. Now, I'm going to be doing a lot of reading. So you, if you're watching on YouTube, can just follow along on the screen as I put these passages on the screen. Or if you're listening to a podcast, I encourage you to take some time, listen to it while you have your Bible on hand, grab a cup of coffee, and go through these passages in depth with me. Because I think your eyes will be open to some things that are just amazing that are in Scripture. God pretty well makes the book of Revelation easy to understand if we will simply read the entire Bible, study all the different passages that talk about it. He explains what's going on, and he has set a timeline that we can follow known as the seventh seals. So, with that all being said, let's dive in and let's read the passage in Revelation now that talks about the sixth seal. And then we'll start our discussion on how that relates to the rapture. Revelation chapter 6, starting in verse 12. I watched as the Lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth, and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from trees shaken by mighty winds. And the sky was rolled up like a scroll and taken away. And all of the mountains and all of the islands disappeared. 
Then the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy people, the people with great power, and every slave and every free person all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who will be able to survive? Now, immediately you're saying to yourself, Todd, what does this have to do with the rapture that Paul talked about in Thessalonians? This is totally different. Well, that's very smart of you, very astute for you to notice that, and I'm glad you asked that question. You've got to realize that this passage in Revelation is written from the point of view of John. He is seeing a vision that Jesus gave him about all the events of the end times. And he is seeing it from the point of view of being on earth and seeing what happens. Now, that's one reason why they're different. But actually, we're going to see that there's another reason. Let me explain. Every coin that we have in the United States has two sides to it, doesn't it? One side usually has the face of a president. On the other side, some type of other uh, memorial or maybe uh, if it's a quarter, uh, a logo of one of the 50 states, something like that. So the back is different than the front. It's two sides of the same coin where we get the expression from. Well, that situation is going on here. You see, the rapture is, in these two passages, shown from two different points of view. On one point of view, is from the Christians. As we are caught up to see Christ and see everyone who passed on and went to heaven before us, how they are brought down and raised up again in a glorified body, and we meet them all in the sky. And we are changed in an instant with our glorified bodies as well. That is from the Christian standpoint, and it's one of joy. But the other side of the coin, and what John portrays in Revelation, is what happens to the people who are left behind. He sees some events, and we'll talk about those events later, and then he sees the reaction of the people. And listen to the reaction. They cry out in verse 16, Fall on us to the rocks and the mountains. Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and the wrath of the Lamb. You see, unbelievers will see the rapture as something that's frightening, as a nightmare, and that they will have to face God's wrath. But we as Christians see it as something to be rejoiced. We don't fear seeing God. We don't fear seeing the face of Jesus. We don't fear his wrath. Because he loves us, he saved us, and because he has forgiven us of all our sins, because we've placed our faith in him and his sacrificial death and resurrection on the cross, we will be saved, and there is no judgment for us. Our sins have been forgiven. Just like he says in Jeremiah, he will remember our sins no more. So the rapture to us is not a scary event. We long to see the face of Jesus and to see the Lord and to be up in heaven with God. So that is something for us to look forward to. But on the other side of the coin, for the unbeliever who is left behind, it is frightening because it means judgments on the way. And you see, that is why I believe Jesus uh, uses this seal 
as the timing of the rapture. He makes it very dramatic with an earthquake and a lot of these strange signs up in heaven. The sun becomes dark. I want you to remember this. The sun becomes dark as black cloth. The moon becomes as red as blood, a dark color red. In other words, it's not reflecting the light of the sun like it normally does. It's not a bright white light up there. So the sun is darkened, the moon's darkened, and stars fall from the sky. And these events uh, signal something very special, and that is the rapture, as we'll see. And these events become a prophetic sign. You see, remember how I told you there's two types of prophecies. There's general prophecies, or what I like to call veiled prophecies. Prophecies of what's going to happen that are purposely veiled by God so that we can't know exactly what is going on, because then we will use that to our advantage and try to manipulate the future uh, so that we can gain wealth or maybe do some other sins. So he doesn't let us understand everything about the prophecies. There are, many of them are still veiled to a certain degree. But there's another type of prophecy, a prophetic sign. And prophetic signs are very clear, just like the ones that were given about Jesus, being born of a virgin, being born in Bethlehem, being a descendant of David. These were prophetic signs that were very clear so that when they happened, people would know that he's the Messiah. Well, if you remember, I said most of the seven seals, in fact, five of the seven, are veiled prophecies. That we won't know exactly for sure when they're happening. We will see little seeds of these seals beginning to germinate. And we're seeing that now, as we've discussed over the last couple of sessions. But two of these prophecies are not veiled. They're very specific. And these prophecies are what we call prophetic signs. The first one was seal number four, when 25% of the world's population dies due to war, famine, and plagues, and uh, or plagues of wild animals, depending on the interpretation of that particular Greek passage. But that key phrase, 25% of the world's population, I told you was a prophetic sign. When you see that, then Christians know what's going to happen next, the fifth seal a worldwide persecution. So God in his grace allows us to have a prophetic sign as his believers here on earth so that we can prepare for what comes next. But Jesus is also very grace-filled and full of mercy towards the unbeliever. And so he leaves a prophetic sign for the unbeliever too, and that is the rapture. When they see these events happen, and when they see people disappear, then they will know what we've been saying is true. And it is in the hopes that many of them will turn to Christ and be saved, even though they'll have to go through the seven-year period of God's judgment. And it'll be very tough. God is hoping that they still will turn to him and be saved, so they don't have to spend eternity in hell. So it's part of his mercy that he allows this sign to be so powerful because it's actually a prophetic sign for the unbeliever. Now, that being the case, you're probably asking, Todd, you're just saying this. What other passages in the Bible support what you're saying? What other passages in Scripture support that these 
events, the, the sun becoming dark and the moon becoming dark or it was blood red and not shining and the stars falling from the sky. What gives you this correct interpretation? Are there any other passages that support your claims? Well, like I said earlier, you're right on target today. You're very astute, and I'm glad you asked that question because, yes, there's several passages that support that this is the rapture, and we're going to read them all right now, and we're going to go through them fairly quickly with just a few comments from me. So grab your Bibles and hang on, and let's start reading some of the supportive passages in Scripture that talks about the rapture. Now, the first one is in Matthew 24, starting in verse 29. Now, in Matthew 24, Jesus is giving a prophecy of his own to the disciples, a prophecy and explaining to them what will happen in the end times, the last days or the end days, how you want to express it, but the days preceding his return. Matthew 24 is a famous prophecy delivered by Jesus, and it is also recorded in the book of Mark and Luke. So let's look at the pertinent passages talking about rapture in this prophecy. Matthew 24, starting in verse 29, Jesus says, Immediately after those horrible days end, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then at last the sign of the coming of the Son of Man will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the nations of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man arrive on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with the sound of a mighty trumpet blast, and they will gather together his chosen ones from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven." Now, let's look at that first phrase, immediately after those horrible days end, he says. What horrible days? Well, if you look at the translation, some of it says the tribulation of those days. And you remember that word tribulation, philipsis, does not refer to the seven-year period of God's judgment upon the earth, even though many movies and many novels were written that said that. That's just not accurate when you look at the Greek language. The word philipsis, which is commonly translated as tribulation, actually is always referring to persecution or troubles that Christians may go through. So we know as Christians there's many troubles that we can go through, but this word oftentimes and more, more times than not in the Bible is actually referring to persecution. Philipsis, persecution of Christians. Yes, sometimes it does use the word thalipsis for meaning that you're going through some struggles spiritually, but predominantly when that word is used, uh, it's always being used in the context of Christian persecution. And that is the case here, because if you read earlier in Matthew 24, it talks about how the Christians are being persecuted and they take the gospel to every corner of the earth. And we're going to go through Matthew 24 in detail after we get through the seven seals but they'll come on in a few sessions later. But for right now, when he's talking about those horrible days, he's talking about Christian persecution. Well, what was the Christian persecution? The fifth seal. So what comes after the fifth seal? The sixth seal. And notice he gives the same astronomical events that happen. The sun is darkened 
and the moon will not give its light. The stars fall from the sky. Now, these are different words than what John used. Jesus is describing it his way, but when John saw it, he described it this way. He said the sun became as dark as black cloth. Well, Jesus said the sun will be darkened. Uh, John said the moon became as red as blood. And Jesus said the moon will not give us light. Now, these are basically the same events, and both of them say stars will fall from the sky. But the reason I think John talks about the moon being blood red, you got to remember, blood is a very dark red color. And the most common reason that we see a different color up in the moon is whatever particles or whatever is going on in the atmosphere. And it filters out the sun that the moon reflects at night. As you know, the moon reflects the sun, which is on the other side of the earth. You know, the earth has rotated around the sun and, and rotated on its axis. So the moon reflects the light from the sun, and that's what we see at night. And it's usually a white light. But if there's particulates in the atmosphere, then sometimes it changes the color. And evidently, whatever's happening is putting so much particle up in the air, particles up in the air, so much dust, that it's making it very dark, like a dark red. So it's not reflecting the light properly. It has gone dark, like Jesus said. What could this be that happens? Well, we don't know, but the stars are falling from the sky, and that might be meteorites, and that might be all kinds of particulate matter left up there that's causing that. We don't know. One day we will if we witness it, but right now we don't know. But we do know that they're both talking about the same event. Then look at how he sums it up. He says, when this happens, he will send forth his angels with the sound of a mighty trumpet blast, that's just like in Thessalonians when it talks about a trumpet and the archangel coming to help notify that the rapture is coming. He says he will send forth his angels with the sound of a mighty trumpet blast, and they will gather together his chosen ones from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now, this phrase, earth and heaven, is important because he's saying he's going to gather up the souls that are there in heaven already. And that's exactly what Paul said in Thessalonians. Let's read it in Thessalonians again, starting in verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus comes, God will bring back with Jesus all the Christians who have died. So you see, he's saying that he will bring back the souls of the Christians who have died from heaven. Then it says that they will uh, arise from the grave. So somehow, miraculously, their souls uh, have their glorified body and they come out of their graves as a sign to the unbelievers that this is the rapture, that Jesus is real. And as far as the trumpet, listen to this in verse 16. This is in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the call of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. Listen to it again in Matthew 24, verse 31. And he will send forth his angels with the sound of a mighty trumpet blast, and they will gather together his chosen ones from the father's ends of the earth and heaven. So obviously it's talking about the same event. What Jesus is talking about is the rapture. And he uses the same astronomical signs. Things are going on in space. The sun 
darkening, the moon darkening, and stars falling from the sky, as is recorded in John's vision in the sixth seal. But it's not just in Matthew that talks about it. Some of the other Gospels talk about it. Let's go on. Mark chapter 13, starting in verse 24. And listen to the same words. At that time, after those horrible days end, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man arrive on the clouds with great power and glory, and he will send forth his angels to gather together his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. So again, the same astronomical events, the same signs are going on. This is talking about the rapture. This is Mark's version of Jesus' prophecy, and it's relating perfectly with what John saw in the sixth seal. I also want to emphasize that it says that everyone will see the Son of Man coming. And in Matthew, it says everyone will see the sign of the Son of Man coming. So they will see him. Now, how? There's been all kinds of wild speculations on how that will happen. And most of those are just erroneous because we are taught in Scripture in 1 Corinthians 15. And also, if you read the context of 1 Thessalonians talking about it, it happens quickly. And almost a twinkling of an eye, a blinking of an eye, that this happens, that he gathers his people. So there's really no way people are going to be able to see it unless they just physically hear it and happen to be looking up or outside and can look up and see it. Or maybe they see some graves open up because they work near a graveyard. I don't know. But one way that's very probable that they're going to all see it is that God will allow them to see the vision. It will be a spiritual vision that's God gives to all of them. And they will know that it's real because they will later, after this vision, see the people that are missing in the graves have been burst open. So I think this is going to be some kind of spiritual vision that happens, and they will see Jesus in his glory in the sky as we're all gathered up in some type of spiritual vision. And when that happens, it drives fear into the heart of every unbeliever because they know they've been left behind. Now, let's see what Luke talks about and how he records this prophecy uh, as Jesus related. Luke chapter 21, starting in verse 25. And there will be strange events in the skies, signs of the sun, moon, and stars. And down here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and the strange tides. The courage of many people will falter because of the fearful fate that they see coming upon the earth because the stability of the very heavens will be broken up. Then everyone will see the Son of Man arrive on the clouds with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, stand straight and look up, for your salvation is near. Now here Luke uses totally different words than what Matthew and Mark did. He doesn't really go into details of how these astronomical events uh, look like. He just says there'll be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. But note, he does define all three, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And he says that it looks like the stability of the very heavens or the space itself is just falling apart. But notice how he ends it. He says, when you see these things, stand straight up and look up. In other words, get excited because your salvation is near. So Luke is recording it as, hey, this is something to be thrilled over. 
when you start seeing all these seals crack open and you start seeing these events, get excited and get ready because Jesus is coming back for you. And that's because for a believer, it's a, a hope. It is a wonderful, blessed dream, a hope that we look forward to. And for the unbeliever, it is a warning sign of impending judgment. And so it strikes their hearts with fear. So we can see now that Jesus in his prophetic discourse in the Gospels is relating all these same events, the sun growing dark, the moon growing dark, not reflecting the sun's light, stars falling from the sky, all connecting it when he comes and returns and gathers up all his believers, both living and dead what we commonly call the rapture, when we're caught up into the sky with him. Jesus and his prophecy relates it all to the sixth seal. Now, you're probably asking, Todd, now that's the gospel. And of course, they're going to say the same thing because it's the prophecy that Jesus gave and all the gospels are talking about Jesus' life and what he taught us. But are there any other passages? Well, I tell you what, you are sharp today. You are on the money. Yes, there's other passages, and we're going to look at them. Let's look at one in the Old Testament from the book of Joel. And the book of Joel has a very interesting uh, couple of passages talking about end times. And this one here relates to the rapture. Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 28. Then after I have poured out my reins again, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon will turn blood red before the great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. So Joel is using the same events to talk about what is happening in the end days. The sun going into darkness, the moon turning blood red, and he says this will happen before the great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. Well, what is this day of the Lord? Well, we've talked about it in earlier sessions, but let's go over it again real quickly. The day of the Lord refers to a time period when Jesus reigns on earth called the Millennial Kingdom. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, it was referred to as the Day of the Lord and written about in very uh, hopeful, exciting terms, something to look forward to. But also, in many places in the Old Testament, it talks about the Day of the Lord and said this is something to be worried about and to watch out for because before the Messiah reigns, judgment will come. And so there's many passages that say, don't just look for the good, realize that it starts with something bad, this judgment. So this awful day of the Lord is referring to the judgment of the evil people on earth and then Jesus setting up his kingdom. And that this judgment is kind of like the final battle between the enemy, Satan, and God that establishes Christ's kingdom on earth. And it is something that's pouring God's judgment out on earth and it's something to be very fearful of. But even though it does end in a beautiful reign of Christ as the king on earth. Now, that is what the day of the Lord is. But note that Joel says that these events happen before the day of the Lord. And he also says it happens during a time when people have the Holy Spirit 
living within them, and they're able to prophesy, whether they be men, women, old men, old women, everyone who believes in God will have the Holy Spirit and able to prophesy or share the gospel. Now, what does that sound like? Well, to me, it sounds like the church, the church age. That's what the Christians do. Ever since the day of Pentecost, we have the Holy Spirit living within us, and we are allowed to, to encourage people, or as the Bible calls it, prophesy, to edify, to encourage, to share the gospel. We're able to preach and teach, in other words, and spread the God's word to other people. So that is the church age. Now you're saying, wait a minute, Todd, how do you make that jump? Hey, I'm not making the jump. I'm just saying what Peter said. You see, Peter quotes this same passage in Acts chapter 2 at the Feast of Pentecost. Now you know the background. It was the day of Pentecost, the celebration of the Feast of Pentecost, and all the Christians were gathered together. It was, you know, just shortly after Jesus rose from the dead and, and, and went on up and ascended into heaven. And they're all gathered together, and something happens. Tongues of fire. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and it looks like tongues of fire. And they speak in foreign languages, different tongues. And people are saying, these people are drunk. Well, Peter, in the power of the Holy Spirit, stands up and says what it is. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 16. No, this is what Peter says. No, what you see this morning was predicted centuries ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit upon all my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy, and I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and the clouds of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here's Peter himself, the apostle, the one who was the leader of the early church, says that this anointing of the Holy Spirit upon all believers, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the lives of all believers is in fulfillment of Joel. So we as Christians in the church age are in the fulfillment of this prophecy of Joel. And he says, in these last days, this will happen. Now, many of people will say, wait a minute, now did Peter make a mistake? Because it wasn't the last days, that was almost 2,000 years ago. Well, no, he didn't make a mistake. You need to understand what he means by the days or in the last days. You see, in Jewish tradition, they related huge periods of time or epochs of human history to different days of the seven days of creation. Okay, so you might have a, a time period called the day of the patriarchs or the day of Moses or the day of the kingdom, or the day of the Jews, okay, when the Jews had their own kingdom. You also might hear a phrase in Jewish tradition called the days of the Gentiles. In fact, in many uh, uh, of the prophecies, you'll hear the phrase, when the days of the Gentiles come to an end. 
And we'll see that in the book of Daniel and also later in the book of Revelation when the time of the Gentiles comes to an end or the days of the Gentiles comes to an end. So different epochs of human history are huge blocks of time, thousands of years, oftentimes are referred to as days in Jewish tradition when they're talking about the prophetic calendar. And that's what Peter is referring to here. He's talking about the last days because the tradition was that the last days or the last epochs of human history, the last huge chunks of human history, if you will, would occur with the Gentiles being dominant on the world before Jesus came and set up his kingdom. And that's what he's referring to, the last days. And it's been 2,000 years, two days, the last days. So the, we are in the last days. We don't know how long it will last. We are in the last days because this is the age of the Gentiles before the Messiah comes to set up his kingdom. And that's what Peter's referring to. Now you may ask, how do I know these things? Well, I'll tell you, that is an excellent question, and I'm glad you asked it. You're batting a thousand today. There's two sources where you can get this information from. One, you can go online and search the internet and learn about Jewish tradition about a thousand years to a day, corresponding to a day of creation. Or you can look up at various books in the library. But another way, and the best way, I think, is to look at the commentary that Peter wrote on this subject in his epistle. And I encourage you to read it with me. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 3. Peter writes, First, I want to remind you that in the last days there will be scoffers who will laugh at the truth and do every evil thing they desire. This will be their argument. Jesus promised to come back, did he? Then where is he? Why, as far back as anyone can remember, everything has remained exactly the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command, and he brought the earth up from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the world with a mighty flood. And God has also commanded that the heavens and the earth will be consumed by fire on the day of judgment, when ungodly people perish. But you must not forget, dear friends, that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to return, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish, so he is giving more time for everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and everything in them will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be exposed to judgment. Now here Peter explains about the last days and equates a day to a thousand years, just like Jewish tradition. But notice how he said that the reason the rapture hasn't come yet is because God is merciful and patient. And he is stretching it out as much as possible so that every unbeliever has a chance to get saved before the day of judgment, when God starts pouring his judgment out as part of the day of the Lord. So you can see that this delay is really an act of God's mercy. And in fact, you can also see that the horrible things that people have to go through during the seven years of God's judgment is another way that God is trying to give them 
time and to wake them up through these horrible events, to wake them up and get them to turn to him for salvation. But just like it says elsewhere that we've read, Peter says, the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly as a thief. And again, so he's tying it into the, to the whole rapture, how Jesus will come in like a thief in the night to get his church. So Peter is wrapping it all up and explaining how the last days or the days of the Gentiles are the church age and that we are awaiting the rapture. And the reason God delays is so that more and more people can get saved. Now, this is just a great example of showing you how much mercy God has. The day of the Lord is the time of God's judgment, and it ends with Jesus setting up his earthly kingdom, like I said earlier. And the day of the Lord is connected to the seventh day of creation, the Sabbath rest. So the day of the Lord ends well, but it doesn't start well. It starts with the seven-year period of judgment. And the mercy of God is shown in this. He allows the rapture to also be a prophetic sign to warn the unbeliever that was left behind that the clock is ticking and they must turn to Jesus for salvation before it's too late before judgment day, when after that, it is too late. Just like Noah was telling people to get saved, but they didn't. And that fateful day came when God sealed them in the ark. After that, it was too late. It's the same thing here. And Peter draws that analogy out when he mentioned the flood. It's the same thing here. God wants everyone to get saved. So he's delaying things and giving them ample opportunity over and over again until that final day of judgment when Jesus comes back and then the books are sealed. So that is why it's all tied together with this signs in heaven, these astronomical signs that hopefully will shake people up and get them to turn to the Lord for salvation. Now, many people ask, Todd, how do you know for sure the church doesn't have to go through that seven-year period of God's judgment? How do you know for sure he's going to prevent us from that? Well, one is all the passages we've already read. Jesus kind of makes it clear in the Gospels and Joel and Peter. It's all fitting together to show that. But let's be even more clear. There's a couple of passages that Paul writes in the book of Thessalonians. Now let's look at them, and that will answer your question very clearly, that the church, the believers, will be taken by Jesus at the rapture, and they will not have to go through that seven-year period of God's judgment. Let's start with 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, from whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. Here Paul is congratulating the Christians at Thessalonica and saying, you have a great reputation. Everybody knows you're looking forward to the day when Jesus returns and you're living your life accordingly. 
And then he goes on and says, Jesus is the one who rescues us from the terrors of the coming judgment. So not only does Jesus save us by putting our faith in him as our personal savior, that his atoning sacrifice on the cross and and the resurrection proves that God will forgive our sins when we trust in Jesus. Not only does he provide that salvation for us, but he also rescues us from the coming judgment, that seven-year period of time of God's judgment. Now, that's in chapter 1 of Thessalonians. And if you remember correctly, the passage that we read that is so famous about the rapture is in chapter 4, the end of chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. It's all part of the same book. And so after he uh, writes about what the rapture is and goes into all that beautiful detail about it at the end of chapter 4, Paul concludes in chapter 5 with these words. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, we read this. I really don't need to write to you about how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. When people are saying all is well, everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall upon them as suddenly as a woman's birth pains begin when her child is about to be born. And there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be sober. Night is the time for sleep and the time when people get drunk. But let us who live in the light think clearly protected by the body armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God decided to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. He died for us so that we can live with him forever, whether we are dead or alive at the time of his return. So encourage each other and build each other up, just as you are already doing. So Paul there makes the same conclusions, that the day of the Lord is preceded by an event that comes like a thief in the night. The same words that Jesus talked about when he spoke about his return, and that is referring to the rapture. And note how he says that not only did Jesus die on the cross to save us, he gave us the salvation, but he did it so that He would not pour out his anger on us. He saved us. He doesn't want to pour out his anger on us. And in verse 10, he says he died so that we can live with him forever, whether we are dead or alive at his return. Again, talking about how the living and the dead are caught up, rapturo, raptured, and to meet Jesus into the sky when he returns for his bride. Just like we talked about in session 12 with the Jewish wedding ceremony. So you see, it's pretty clear. When you look at all the scripture, we have learned the following events. One, there is a rapture. And two, it is tied to very strange, frightening astronomical events. 
the sun going dark, the moon not shining brightly, looking blood red, and stars falling from the sky. And then sometime after that, it may be immediately, it may be at the same time, it may be a little bit of delay. I don't know. The Bible's not clear. But sometime after these events, we will be snatched up, caught up in heaven, raptured to see Jesus with the, all the believers, the living and the dead. And that event, that event will burn in the hearts of every person. God will cause every person to see it in a miraculous way, through some type of spiritual vision, I think. And it will strike fear in their hearts when they see his glory because they will know they are sinners and they will know that judgment is at hand. And they hopefully, this is God's hope, that they will turn to Jesus for salvation during the seven years. But as we'll see in the book of Revelation, most people just harden their hearts even more and they refuse to turn to Jesus. And it will be very difficult for anybody who does become saved during this seven-year period of time. So my advice to you, if you're listening to this and you are not for sure that you're saved, if you don't know 100% sure that you've given your life to Jesus, that through faith in him that you have salvation, if you don't know that, then it's time to get right with God. You need to realize you need to confess your sins to him and ask him to save you. Put your faith and trust in him and he will save you. Like it says in Romans chapter 10 in verse 9, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, in other words, that we say he will be our boss and we will follow him forever. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that he rose from the dead, in other words, if we truly believe and have faith that he came and walked on this earth and died on the cross to pay for our sins, and God raised him up again on the third day to prove that sacrifice was enough. If we truly believe that and take him as our Lord, our boss, then we will be saved. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 9. Don't get left behind. Believe in Jesus now while there's time before the rapture comes. And for you, brothers and sisters, I want us to think in context about how it will be when that rapture comes. Think about it. The Christians who are alive when this happens will more than likely have lived through the seals, the first seal of the worldwide government rising, the time of the Ten Kings, and the second seal, open bloodshed, uh, a person will rise up and take over three of those kingdoms, leaving a total of eight. Eight kings, and this person that does that will later become a world leader that is set against rebelling against God, what the book of Revelation refers to as the Antichrist. But also, during this second seal of bloodshed, there will be peace taken away from the earth and mankind will prey on each other and we will kill each other without any kind of restraint. And then the third seal of famine. More, most all probably, I should say, most probably driven by people hoarding and the, and the rich people keeping what is available away from everyone else. 
It'll be an economic driven uh, famine, I do believe. And then after the believers who survive all this, they will see the prophetic sign. 25% of the world's population will die through war and famine and plagues, plagues of and wild animals or plagues of wild animals, depending on how you interpret that Greek passage. But the fourth seal will be the prophetic sign for the believer to warn us what's coming next. And then those believers who are alive and survive those first four seals, they will go through an intense worldwide persecution. And through this persecution, we will scatter. We will leave. We'll take Jesus' advice and flee from one city to the next, constantly trying to stay away from being captured and put in jail. And by us fleeing away from this persecution, we will take the gospel to every corner of the world. And then when things become so intense, when we are bowed down and we think we can't make it anymore, and when the Christians who are left are begging for mercy, God, please save us. We can't take anymore. Please help us. Just like the lightning flashes from the east to the west. Jesus will come and snatch up all his believers, both living and dead, and meet them in the sky and take them to his Father's house, heaven, for the wedding feast. And that is the rapture. And because of God's mercy, he uses that event, along with all the astronomical events that precede it, as a warning to the unbelievers to get saved because the day of judgment is here. So you see, the rapture is our hope. And even though we may not know exactly when it happens, when we're going through bad times, we can be like a child near Christmas. Each day we can wake up and say, we're one day closer. You see, our the believers of the early church, it was 2,000 years ago. And they did not see it. We are 2,000 years closer. And no matter what you're going through, maybe you're depressed because of the government shutdowns of COVID. Maybe things are not going good. You've lost your job or your business because of the shutdowns. Maybe you're lonely and you just want to see other believers. No matter what's going on in your life, I'm telling you, you can have hope. You can wake up each day and know you have hope because Jesus has promised and the apostle Paul has recorded it and Peter has recorded it. And it is a fact. You will not have to face God's judgment during that seven year period of Jacob's distress. No, you will be rescued by Jesus at the rapture. And that will be the signal of the day of the Lord beginning. And that is our hope. And that hope allows us to get up each morning and say, it could be today. It could be soon. And I hope you allow that hope to encourage you through these dark days. So until next time, brothers and sisters, keep your eye to the sky. It could be soon. And read your Bible. Thank you for listening to Todd Talks Bible, sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. For more information, please visit churchdiscipleshipministries.com or check today's show notes for the link.
Our teachings are also available on YouTube. Simply search for Todd Talks Bible. I'm Brian Race, encouraging you to subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Also, consider sharing this timely teaching with someone you believe needs to hear it. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 